One of the things I've heard you talk about a lot is your your journey and your evolving relationship with sex and sexuality mm, mm-hmm. and how that changed from when you were very young yeah. through the period when you were drinking a lot yeah. um, till today. Can you talk to me about that evolution and what you've learned about those topics that might benefit me? Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to sort of keep referring to my sobriety in that period of my life because it was so transformative and it revealed so much to me, so much that I could have never imagined at the time. So something that also happened when I got sober, I think this was about a year into my sobriety, I realized just how much sexual shame I was holding, so much of it. And I initially sort of wanted to fix it, wanted to do something about it. What are some surface level things that I can do? What can I read? What can I sort of dive into? How can I deal with it from where I am now as a 25 year old? But I quickly realized that I actually had to trace it back to see where it even comes from. And I realized just like so many things, it did come from my childhood. Being raised in a Christian home, I learned again, not directly, more so indirectly, that being a sexual being was not something that was of God. It was not something that was supposed to be a part of who I am. Pleasure was never discussed. Sex was never discussed. Even intimacy in general. I never saw my parents hold hands. I never saw my parents hold hands. I never saw them kiss. I never saw them hug. I never saw any sort of affection, but I knew that they loved each other. I knew that they cared about each other, but affection and intimacy, I just never saw that. Not for a moment. Did you see that growing up? Um, It's a really interesting one because I'd say, I'd say, Yes and no. So mm-hmm. I say yes because below the age of maybe eight, maybe I, I could've got memories of that. And then above the age of 10, um, no. And I, I call my yeah. parents by their first names. Okay. And I really struggled with with intimacy because yeah. of the exact same reasons. Like right. even the word best friend made me cringe until the age of, still kind of makes me cringe me now. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Like when people me would too. say it or call me their best friend, this is part of me going, Stephen, me too. Like it's just a bit. Even boyfriend would make me like, prison. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Me too. That's why when I found the word partner, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, that, yeah, feels, yeah. that feels yeah. much better. We stand next to each other. We don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So when I sort of wanted to really understand where a lot of the sexual shame was stemming from, or just more so even outside of sex, intimacy, intimacy, feeling very disconnected to other people when it came to intimacy, but also from myself. I realized that I could only be expressive as a sexual being if I was drunk or if I was high, if I was in that place where, of course, my inhibitions are low, but I had no insecurities. I didn't have to feel like I'm doing something wrong. I didn't have to feel like my pleasure was wrong. But then when I got sober, all of those things came to the surface. And then I I had to look that in the eye. So that also became something that I started sharing over time as well as sort of sharing my journey with sobriety. I then started sharing the things that were revealed as a byproduct of me getting sober and sexual shame was a huge one, was a big part of that. 
My relationship with sex has evolved a lot. Yeah. Over over time. I think it was early in my early years influenced by porn. As yes, it is for many me people. Too. So me too. that's the way I went into the game. I just yes. went in trying to be those those male porn stars. You right. Know? <laughs> and I think over time, and I think there's this this wider issue in our society, specifically, I've got to be honest, with men. Yes. Um what they think that what they think sex is in terms of this kind of very aggressive, often dominating, mm. transactional mm-hmm. um, encounter. Yeah. And then there's, you know, I'm, again, I'm just, I'm just talking freely. I don't give a fuck what anyone Please like, do. <laughs> Please. But I'm seeing a lot in, in my, in my close friends, they're all in relate, they're often in relationships, not all of them, where they're yeah. having problems with their sexual relationship with their partner. Mm. They're basically saying things to me and I'd say, this is crazy. I'd say 75 to 80% of my male friends are saying my partner doesn't want to have sex. Mm. She doesn't like having sex. Yeah. And I was there at one point too. My partner said that to me at one point too. Yeah. And I took it on face value. I thought Mm. they don't like sex. Mm. What I came to learn is that wasn't true. But that what what I'd learned to be sex and what I was bringing as sex, this kind of aggressive, you know, whatever, was not yes. the language that they spoke. Right. And I feel like I'm surrounded by men that need to start seeing sex as a language mm. because then you can ask yourself, well, actually she's speaking Spanish and I'm speaking English. That's yeah. why it's not she doesn't like English. She just doesn't, she speaks a different language. Yes, you know what I mean? yes. That's a lot. I'm just dumping that on you to no, see no, how no, it no. resonates. No, that resonates so much. And I'm I'm really glad that you said this because I think you're speaking something that is on so many people's minds or something that they've just never really put language to. And a big part of my awakening, if you will, and really addressing that sexual shame is because I also learned sex from porn at 10 years old, 10 years old. So by the time that I had sex for the first time when I was 14, it was very much like a porn performance, to put it very simply. And I speak to so many people, men and women, about this very specific thing. A lot of us learn that we should perform, that sex should be driven by orgasm and ejaculation and this sort of production, if you will, which is not actually accurate for most people when it comes to what really actually feels pleasurable, especially for women. So I started to realize when I got sober that every time that I was having sex, for example, I faked every single orgasm. It was all a perform. I I didn't know much about my body because I'd learned from porn. And because the men that I was with had also learned from porn, we were just in a performance and no one's actually talking about it right? Mm. So in times when I was in relationships and I made myself think, I don't want to have sex. I don't want to have sex anymore. It actually was not that. I didn't want to have this type of pornified sex. That's what I actually meant. So what you just said is really important. And I realized that's when I found tantric sex, actually. Yeah. Yeah, That's when I found tantric sex around 2018. Because I realized that I had always felt like sex was being done to me. Yes. That I was not a part of it. And that is how most women feel. I, I felt like I needed to apologize really? on behalf of men. Yeah, because that's what that's what I came to learn. Yeah. Was that the the reason why the the person I was with mm. had turned around to me and said, I don't like having sex is and when we got talking about it mm-hmm. after I acted like I mean, let me be clear. The first time she said that, I yeah. did not understand. My little yeah. chimp Neanderthal monkey brain went, uh, 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 like I was emasculated <laughs> by it. Yes. It made me feel, what, is there something that I was 
I didn't Ego do right. Ego steps in, of course. right? Ended up breaking up with this person, got back yeah. with this person a year later. When I was maybe a bit more mature, I apologized and I said, I want to have a conversation. And I also said to her that I'm going to be here regardless of whether we have sex or not. Yes. And then she could, she had a safe enough space to start talking to me about it. And what I discovered is she'd been with, she'd had three previous boyfriends over the course of seven years. She, her view of sex was this person comes and takes from you, treats you like this object. Mm -hmm. And she was with him for five years, treats you like an object, takes what they want from you. And then he was actually going and cheating on her as well. Right. So not only was he taking, he was then like hurting her. And that cycle just repeated. Her relationship with what sex is was really, really toxic. Yeah. She didn't like that. Yes. She didn't want that anymore. Yes. And that's what she and me probably referred to as this word sex. Mm. So it was kind of like learning a new language of sex and what it actually is. That yes. meant she went from the place of like, I don't want to have sex anymore to absolutely loving to have sex. Yes. And I didn't think it was possible. I thought if they don't like sex, dump them. Yes. You know what I mean? And go find right. someone that will, right. that will let me take. Yes. And <laughs> you know, you know so, what? You, you've articulated that so beautifully in terms of sex being a language. And it's going to look different for every single person because something that I realized is that I could tell when I was with a man sexually, I could tell if they were sort of if it was like a script almost, like a play-by-play, -play, like this is exactly the method, we do this, we do that, switch into this, switch into that. It, it wasn't sort of flowing and very intuitive as to what's actually needed in that moment, which reminded me of porn. And I would also realize actually, and this is something that I've spoken about so much because I ended up um, starting a sexual wellness company called Cherry Revolution over time. And I realized that even some of the positions I would get in, were very much like porn because certain positions in porn are like that because the camera is there, not because it's comfortable, because that's the shot for the viewer to be able to see it. So when I started to see that I'm starting to replicate this in my most intimate private moments, but we're both doing it, I made myself believe that I didn't enjoy sex. So then drinking and drugs and everything that came with it, I felt like those were the moments that I could be fully expressive without needing to perform, which is very interesting because you would think it would be the opposite, that I would then perform more. But I felt as if I could actually speak my mind if I didn't enjoy something. Can we try this? Can I do this instead? Or I just want to give or I just want to receive. Can we be slower? And then when I was sober, I felt like I couldn't say those things. Because if I say it to you as my partner, I might be emasculating you. I might be embarrassing you. You might think something is wrong. So I would just perform and you're performing as well. And then it just causes a huge disconnect. So tantric sex was the first thing that I came across that made me realize and really articulated that sex is actually not a specific destination. Did you know that you can actually enjoy sex without a ejaculation, that you can have a full body orgasm, that you can be very slow, that foreplay can be the main thing that you do, that you can experience orgasm without penetration. Just so many different ways of articulating that experience of sex. And it's just that, an experience. And that changed so much for me. It's such a um, sort of a narrative violation for so many people who've spent their whole life watching porn and then yeah. re recreating it. This idea that you can have an orgasm from touch, that right. you can use energy to to, to cause someone yeah. or orgasmic pleasure. And yeah, um, yeah, I just, that's it's a really important topic that I think people need to talk about a lot more. And I think just just 
saying to someone that's listening to this that might be in a relationship where they're not, they're in a sexless relationship. Yes. Just proposing the idea that what if you both just speak, there's just say there was 10 languages. Mm. What if you're just speaking the wrong language? Right. You know what I mean? And what, what approach would you then take? You'd probably try and learn the language. Yes. Yes. And um, also communicate to them what language you speak and see, right. and see how you can be bilingual, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It, it reminds me of, um, are you familiar with love languages and, and that, that whole thing? Yes. I realized that a lot of people expect someone to give in the way that they like to receive, Amen. you know? So no one really says, okay, how do you like to receive love? How do you like to give love? And the moment that I started asking those questions, even though I, believe me, I fucking cringed in the beginning. I'm like, really? Am I gonna ask them? <laughs> <laughs> But you get used to it. Yeah, yeah. And if they it's run been, off, good. Yeah, <laughs> it's, Stephen, it's been a game changer to just ask the person that I'm, that I'm dating or my current partner to be like, how do you like to be loved? How do you like to receive love? And how do you like to give it? Um, because just those simple questions can change so much. And then you can use the same with sex. What do you like and what do you not like? What have you changed your mind about? What do you like to do now and again, or maybe not so much sometimes? Um, how much time do you need? How does your arousal actually work? And I know that some people might not know how to answer these questions for themselves. So it's actually very good to start asking yourself those questions before speaking about it with someone else. These are questions that you can just start to ask yourself before introducing them to someone else, but they can, they can change so much because I think we get into relationships and make so many assumptions based on our individual experiences and our worldview. And we expect the person we're with to reflect the exact same thing back to us, but we don't, we don't ask questions. It's, it's, it comes back in many respects to what we were talking about earlier, this kind of binary approach to life. They either yeah. fit or they don't. Uh -huh. There's no space for conversation and nuance and, and, and I guess, um, mutual development together, like yes. towards the same, this idea that you have to actually build and develop a relationship towards a place of um, satisfaction as opposed to finding your perfect soulmate or perfect fit. Right. I'm going to find someone that likes to have sex like I do, that likes to talk like I do, that likes mm -hmm. the things I do, as opposed to this kind of molding towards being more cohesive together. I love that term, mutual development. And it makes me think actually that this is a term that can apply even outside, maybe even especially outside of romantic relationships, this idea that people don't have to be perfect, that they don't have to exist in the way that I want the world to be or in how I expect them to be. Maybe we can actually mutually develop a different perspective together because we're two different mm. beings coming together. That's my, a very powerful My most time. successful relationship, my current relationship, we are yeah. completely different. Really? We, believe, we don't believe the same things. We don't believe the same... We don't have the same fundamental beliefs, yeah. but the reason why it works is because of one very simple thing, communication, mm. and a very healthy, high respect communication yes. where everything isn't an, an attempt to win. It's an attempt to like un genuinely understand to move forward. Yeah. And I think you can have two people that are, that want very, very different things, whether it's in sex or in business or their beliefs about religion and spirituality be bound together as long as they have respectful communication. I agree. You know what I mean? And I guess empathy is part of respectful yeah. communication. Yeah. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. 
And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.